we must demand of our Tennessee legislature investment in mental health because this is going to become the norm. This is not a one-off or an extreme situation. I'm saddened that Jillian Ludwig and her family had to face this consequence, but they are the face of this problem in Nashville, in the state of Tennessee. The media is really uncomfortable in this case because the covenant parents have lined up so strongly. A a lot of times there are things that you do in the defense of open government that puts you in uncomfortable positions. And telling the covenant parents who don't want to relive this horrible thing again with the release of these records is a legitimate concern. But that does not in and of itself create an exception to public records law. Parents are very concerned about this, rightly so, but by and large that there's no appetite to turn this money down, that there's no real appetite to pass legislation to turn this money down. No state has ever rejected federal K through 12 dollars, ever. It's never happened. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Blue Sky at Braden Gall or Twitter.com at Braden Gall. I'm on X at JR Holland. And in studio today, our guest, Stephen Number One, Stephen Cavendish of the Nashville Banner. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm good. You can uh, follow me on Blue Sky at Scavendish uh, or Instagram or uh, Elon's sewer, as uh, one of you is fond of saying. The brilliant curmudgeon over there. Can uh, you tell me it's who Twitter. is on com. Blue Sky? Uh, like, me and Steve. Me and, me and Braden. Good. Yeah. Come on down. Well, I don't, well, he, he I don't, need, to, I don't need to go there to see you. So I'm, <laughs> I see you right now. And I'm, you, can, you, can, you can read my thoughts. And when I say I'm going down with the ship, I mean it. I, I'm still there and have plenty of conversations over there about college football. I'm, uh, Blue Sky is for this audience to talk about Nashville politics, news, government, history, and other things. Twitter.com, which is what it still technically is. Jamie. Find the word Twitter when you open that application. Twitter. I dare you. Twitter. I, dare don't, you. I don't want you to type in a bunch of X's you. in your URL over there. Don't you. don't type in a bunch of X's. Dare you to find it. You're not especially not around your kids. Will not be found. <laughs> Twitter.com, Steve. Welcome to the show. Wow. What have I gotten into? <laughs> uh, all right. Today on the show, uh, first we have a quick reaction to um, the city and how it's changing and, and a shout out to one of our former guests and uh, the brilliant no, is it Nashville's number one historian? Is that what you call her, Jamie? Correct. Okay, we'll talk... Uh, without peer. Without, <laughs> yes. Unrivaled. So a lot of stuff today on the show that is going to be difficult to talk about, but very, very important to talk about. Of course, we had a young Belmont student pass away after catching a stray bullet due to some mental health situations that we have all talked about. The shooter with some mental health situations that we have talked about. Steve, you have written about. So we've got to get into that, of course. We've got the Covenant Shooters documents and diaries that have been leaked. There's a whole bunch of lawsuits and different people in in, in that situation. So we'll get into what that uh, is all about. There's this education uh, working group task force committee thing. 
that's taking place that I know parents are very concerned about. We've talked about it on the show before. We will try to calm some people down, lower the temperature a bit on what's going on with federal funding. Per diem collection group. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we, we do have some light stuff to finish up at the end of the show with uh, some election results in neighboring states that were quite positive for those of you who enjoy personal freedom and liberty. And, of course, the sophisticated evolution of the Republican primary debate on Wednesday evening. I'm glad you watched that. <laughs> I don't, Same. I only watched like 20 minutes, to be fair. It took them an hour and 40 minutes before they asked about abortion. Well, I mean... I wonder was, why. It, I wonder why. Well, because it was it was nominally supposed to be a foreign policy uh, discussion. Uh, used, and and, and used, then they realized they couldn't not discuss abortion after... Getting, uh, getting housed the uh, night before? After the results in the, <laughs> um, in the Tuesday elections. I used to give Stephen number one here the title of worst moniker giver but betsy might be running close second now uh i completely disagree (laughs) as as uh so (laughs) so uh betsy phillips of course uh the great aunt b on twitter.com also writes for the nashville scene for a while i can't first of all cannot wait for her book coming out next year dynamite nashville can't wait honestly truly can't wait next summer now it's it's We'll have her on multiple times to promote it for sure. But can't wait for the book. It's going to be great. But she she writes a piece off of our episode to, with Ben Eagles for the Nashville scene. And one of the there's – there's a couple of big takeaways about how the city has changed. And, Steve, I'm sure you've had this conversation. Jamie, I'm sure you've had this conversation. I've had this conversation a lot with friends of mine who are sort of new to Nashville in the last couple of years. And we have group conversations with people that have been in Nashville for a long time. And they always ask, like, why are you guys always talking about this old Nashville that exists? And, and you know, she was commenting about Ben's uh, approach. Ben Eagles, senior advisor to the Cooper administration, was on an episode uh, sort of about uh, what do you want to what do you want to call it? Like the cynical view of sort of the growth of Nashville and how we need to get over the fact that we are now a wealthy city. And these are these are first world problems that we're talking about. Right. And I think she's right, and it's hard to explain, and I'd like to get both of you on this. I think she's right in that it is the right emotions about old Nashville are sort of grief and mourning, not outrage, anger, rage, any of that stuff. But Ben is also correct in that there's only two types of cities in this country, cities that are dying and cities that are growing. And if you're going to have one of the two's problems, you got to have the city. You're going with the growing problems, not the dying problems. So is there a chance where this is one of those things that we like to preach to people that two things are true? That yes, it's okay to mourn what old Nashville is and have that emotional feeling, but also we're way better off with the problems we've got than the problems a lot of other cities have. If you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're dead. That's what I was taught. So I'd rather have the former than the latter. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a case of you holding, you know, holding, and this is going to be a familiar theme here, holding multiple thoughts in your head at the same time. There is, so I came back to Nashville in 2011, and it changed a lot. Left for a year from July of 2015 to July of 2016. And in the year that we were gone, we came back, uh, I came back to edit the scene. We couldn't afford to get back into our neighborhood. And even in that year, the pace had accelerated. And I think what people are reacting to is not, it's not just that, 
Oh man, Granite Falls. I used to love to eat at that place. Where's or, where's I love the Rutledge. It yeah, was so I mean, much fun. The, the the scene the the scene sells a sells a t-shirt of like old like old dead restaurants and it's it's a bunch of it's a bunch it's it's a nostalgia play and it's a lot of fun. I like it. But it, it's not just that. It is that the pace is dizzying. And I think and I think people but it manifests itself in I miss X. I miss Y. Yeah. I like I liked it when things were better things were better when it was just like this when tomato fest wasn't you know a gazillion people it also didn't have 11 corporate sponsors right at the gate right right <laughs> it, it was it was better it was better back in the old days and that's a reaction yeah. not necessarily to the specifics of it of qualitatively was it better then or not but that the pace is so intense I moved here from Austin in 1996, and the phrase they use in Austin is "keep Austin weird." Austin is dealing with all of the exact same issues at the exact sim- at a very similar pace, and I think that to me is what I miss. Well, the reason how, you couldn't afford how to move Nashville back in your was. neighborhood because NIMBY is strong. Okay, yeah. all right, okay, but ultimately the d- the discussion I think is, and I think this was Betsy's point in in the piece eventually, which is. We've got to make sure we're managing all this growth, that pace that you're talking about that's dizzying. We've got to manage it the right way and, and, and ask the right questions to the right people about the right things. We've just had a recent election where new people are in charge of all that stuff. And what you do, Steve, at the banner and what we're trying to do on this show is to make sure we're presenting all those questions so that people are thinking through all these issues in the best possible way. But again, I think Ben is right and I think Betsy's right at the same time. Two things are true. Two things are true. I don't believe in holding on to something just because it's accumulated a certain amount of years. The we got to build a national for the future, not for today. I, I agree, and that's I think that's what we just said is that we can do that smartly in the right hey, way. You, you, it's okay you to be were, nostalgic. You, you it's okay. Managed and control. It's like what are we really managing? We're we're trying to manage something that can't be managed. Are you speaking specifically about housing, or are you talking about the entire city? Of course I am. I'm talking about housing. Well, I'm talking about the whole thing. (laughs) Are you going to get upset with me, Steve, for using the word manage? I don't want to be between the two of you. (laughs) Which you are. I'm sitting in in between the two of you, and I want to pick up this microphone and walk across the room because I feel like there's going to be some shooting here. Uh, Bad choice of words. Bad choice of words for the pod today. Um, PBN. Thank you. Um, Listen. Steve, he is a brilliant curmudgeon for a reason, okay? <laughs> and I am the city's ombudsman. The highest compliment I have ever been paid in digital form. Hey, the pro, t- le- pro, pro tip. Fuck the haters, but also the people that give you compliments, ignore them too. You got uh, to maintain even keel. You know what I care the most about? Be like Vrabel. Just trust the process. You know what I Two care? Two and the- seven? Be like Vrabel when <laughs> be like Vrabel when Billy Jeans comes off the field after throwing four touchdowns in Atlanta. Kind of like eh, Steve. Yeah. It's a uh, three and twelve actually. I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> He's three, three, and three and twelve in his last fifteen. Uh, here's what I do like though, and I will stay even keel about it. Just link to the pod, baby. Just put, just put a link to the pod in there. Call us by name and put the put the link in there. <laughs> All I care about. Obviously, nobody follows those links anymore. You sh- she should have said, "Fuck the haters." She should have said, <laughs> "Go to Apple Podcasts and search for Pod Bless Nashville." Uh, Steve, do you know how to rate, review, and subscribe to podcasts? I do. I do okay. because uh, do you know how to do it on Spotify? Uh, I do. Okay, 
You want to tell people how to do that? Uh, sure. Rate, review, and subscribe. It's not that hard. Nah. Fuck the reviews. Here's what you need to be focused on, Jamie. You need to tell people now, because you did a great job getting all of the review numbers up on the pod. You need to focus on telling people to share the show. Tell somebody in your community, because the issues we're about to talk about matter to all of us. I'm not done with the rating piece. I'm disappointed. We got stuck at 99 ratings. That, that means the bit's over and we need to move on. Yeah. I, I need triple <laughs> digits before that happens. If you want to hear me stop telling everyone how to scroll up from the show and hit the five-star rating. I would like to use your powers. We're almost there. We're almost there. Okay. Moving on. Twice as many as the other guys. But I'd like you to use those powers now and tell people to share the product with somebody in your life. People or parents are asking questions about education. People have lots of questions about the covenant shooting, the release of the documents, the investigations, the lawsuits. People have questions about mental health that we have been talking about for weeks on the show. People have questions about that. So, Jamie, tell people to share the show. Tell one of your friends. Tell one of your buddies. Steve likes to say, tell a random person on the street. I'm not sure how effective that is. But just share the show. Tell somebody in your life about Pod Bless Nashville. I'm going to do that next episode because you did a great job just then. Thank you. Uh, all right. Um, we we have, and we'll get to ultimately what you guys can do because we're solution-oriented, but let's start with the story of Shaquille Taylor, mentally incompetent in 2010, I believe as a teenager. He gets into a altercation, was this Monday afternoon, correct, of last week, and a stray bullet ends up striking a freshman Belmont student, Jillian Ludwig. She goes into intensive care, passes away a couple of days later. And this is an individual, the shooter, Taylor, who is essentially embodies every conversation we have had on this show for the better part of months. Steve, you guys have written about this exact story at the Nashville Banner. Go to the banner, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, the system has failed the community in this situation because he's not competent to stand trial and be found guilty of anything that's been established for over a decade, but he's still out there and, and he was involved in a shooting in our neighborhood with kids in a car recently as well. And the only mechanism it feels like Steve through all of this process is that he failed to show up for like a, a, a bond hearing and all of a sudden a warrant was issued for his arrest. And like, that's all, that's all we can do with this particular individual what are the right questions that we should be asking about this situation? Because it's an obvious tragedy that should be avoided. Uh, we ought to be asking about what it takes to commit a person if they are mentally unstable. Um, and and th this person has been, in, has been found incompetent to stand trial. So we wrote the story in the banner uh, in September uh, you guys had talked about this on the show. You know, there are a number of people. I think the number is two hundred and twenty-nine or two hundred twenty-three folks who who have been found incompetent by the courts and have, are committing a series of crimes. In most cases, misdemeanors, and they can't be jailed for it. If they had committed a felony, and the reason why they can't be jailed, the reason why they're just released is because there's no health, mental health money at the local level. There's no in-between right. the full involuntary commitment of somebody who's incompetent who just you can just put into a, a very specific care unit, somebody who's totally competent that can be tried for jail, just a regular old crime and handled like the, the justice system would normally handle it. 
there's this whole entire middle ground here that we have not provided a service to. Correct. And, and to be clear, there's a there's a reason why we don't touch that rail because because we are reticent to involuntarily commit people. And uh, you know, the, this country has a history of involuntary commitment. We housed people in in, in mental hospitals for years. Uh, there was a there was a deinstitutionalization movement in the in the sixties that kind of fought against this, and so we we don't have we don't have a good answer here, and we don't want to we don't want to be throwing people into mental health facilities against their will, kind of willy nilly. But the but the flip side of that is in this case, this is a person who is who is clearly not competent, had a gun, was shooting in another car. Oh, was shooting at a car, and a stray bullet kills this Belmont student. And th- this person had been brought up on an aggravated assault charge two years before. Clearly, something happened. Uh, clearly, something needs to happen here. We need to work hard to kind of figure out what that should be. That's the kind of question we should be asking: is is how do we how do we begin to address cases like this where violent crime happens? And a person is mentally ill. How can we be safe from this person who clearly falls, as you said, into the gap? He was deemed not restorable, which if you listen to the episode with Glenn Funk, if you listen to the episode with uh, Sheriff Hall, the, the not restorable part is a critical piece that the mental health you know, institution is supposed to determine. He was deemed not restorable in 2010. You mentioned the aggravated assault in 2021, which I believe is the one that I referenced over here where he and another gentleman were shooting into a car with a three and a one-year-old at a woman. He was released in May. Like this is, Jamie, this is, this is what, what, again, I'll ask you, what are the right questions that citizens should be asking? Well, first uh, I read some account of a news outlet here in town. I can't remember which one, but they had interviewed his, his mother. And she mentioned that he was born with certain mental disease or defects, and he's been living with this consequence throughout his entire life. But it was, it was it pneumo- like didn't he have like pneumonia? It, it's not important, I maybe, guess. Maybe fluid on the brain, something yeah, like that. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it was. But in in the past twelve months, he had been evaluated by certain mental health care professionals, two of whom are employed by the state of Tennessee, Tennessee Department of Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. Quote, this is from the order, the order granting the defense motion to dismiss in that 2021 ag assault case. Quote, Mr. Taylor does not possess adjudicative competence due to his intellectual disability and language impairment. Goes on to say that he doesn't have the mental capacity to stand trial. So that's point one. No mental capacity to stand trial. But he was also evaluated by another psychologist employed by the state of Tennessee, a forensic examiner for the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, that says Mr. Taylor does not currently meet the criteria for involuntarily involuntary commitment under state law for the nerds that's TCA 33-5-403. So there's a delta there 
between can't stand trial, but not doesn't meet the criteria for involuntary commitment, according to medical experts employed by the state of Tennessee. Well, first solution, uh, changing 33-5403, I suspect that bill's already being drafted if it hasn't already been filed. And then the third evaluator was from Vanderbilt Medical Center, who concurred with both of those other two doctors, and that in as much as incompetent and not committable. Well, the broader point is, is that we must demand of our Tennessee legislature investment in mental health, which, Braden, I don't know if you forgot, but we just had a special session about mental health. And regardless of your position on the gun, the House of Representatives that took action on that and passed a suite of bills, I'll call them, to address this. The Senate. How many bills passed out of the out of the state Senate? Not near as many. Three, I believe. For a, a budgetary one, right? That was related to mental health. Correct, but not as definitive as the ones that passed the House. Certainly, and they wouldn't even take them up. The Judiciary Committee, Commerce Committee, they gaveled in and out, wouldn't even take consideration of these issues. I, I would say they did a disservice to the state in that regard. But but what is their reasoning for that? Their excuse, not excuse, their reasoning for that was this could be done in a regular session and that we should we should address these issues starting in January when we, we meet again. Well, the reason we've talked about this on the pod, excuse me, PBN, strike that brain, <laughs> with the sheriff, with the district attorney, with Betsy post-special session, is because this is going to become the norm if we don't invest in mental health. This is not a one-off or an extreme situation. You be, my guess is people across this community are talking about this, where you go, be aware of your surroundings. Well, the mental health uh, problems are not getting better. They're getting worse. And post-pandemic, it's on steroids. I, Jamie, you and I, and Steve, I think you and I too, we've, we've had conversations about our, our behavior in a car. Like I'm changing how I drive my car because of what we're dealing with here. And ultimately, I think your broader point to be even even more clear on this is that our lack of action on this particular issue is having consequences in real life, in real time. I don't think it's the norm. I don't think it's going to become the norm, Jamie. I think it is the norm. I mean, I'm, I'm saddened that Jillian Ludwig and her family had to face this consequence, but they are the face of this problem in Nashville, in the state of Tennessee, and I would say across the country. All, all the warning lights are going off. Urgent action is demanded and waiting. We've Jillian Ludwig paid the ultimate price due to our waiting. And, That's just a fact. And, and there has been and, and the, mental health as a response to as a response to violent crime has only been brought up in the context, particularly like in this special session, was only brought up in the context of gun laws. And you saw people, legislators, reacting to not wanting to institute these any 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 sort of reforms here because they were only looking at it through the through the eyes of gun owners. 
and and they and and gun ownership, and and I think that there needs to be and there's probably going to be a broader discussion about about mental health, about commitment, and about people who people who are falling into this loophole, who are falling into the cracks of uh, of where the law is currently situated. And, and, and I think it's it'll be good to have that discussion sort of absent the context of are we going to put in more gun laws or not going to put in more gun laws? Because I think there might be – I think there's there's possibility of having kind of a, a rational discussion around it. You know, you can be pro-gun laws. You can be anti-gun laws. But – in many in many cases, this is a this is a much different so this is a much different sort of situation, and a, and I think the discussion is probably coming. Extreme risk protection order needed. That's a baseline, but more importantly, the state's investment in mental health resources has never been more paramount. Yeah, if we if we if we reflectively say that we as a country have a mental health problem as a response to gun violence and that addressing that problem is one of the ways to limit gun violence, then this is, this is the rubber hitting the road. This, this, this case and this issue is very much where where the issue is going to go. And and Braden, one more thing on, on the solution. Some witty shit post on X, not going to move the needle. How about you go through your follower list, be it on Facebook, X, Meta, Instagram, what the fuck ever, TikTok. You reach out to somebody you know that lives in Williamson County, Knox County, Hamilton County, Shelby County, and say, hey, do you, have you heard about this? Here's what's going on. Will you contact your legislator, legislator for me? I've already contacted mine. Here's their email address. Here's their phone number. Try to get a meeting with them. Talk to them that way and save that energy for something that can have an impact as opposed to some witty post. Well, I mean, I think that's ultimately the, the actionable point. I, I think Steve, to your point there, there are two very, very different issues that have lots of different tentacles, but clearly overlap in some very specific places. Yep. And, I mean, I've seen there's a lot of studies about whether it's red flag laws or mental health. The vast majority of shooters, not to sort of take this into this other part of the discussion, but the vast majority of shooters the day before they go and attack somebody would not qualify. They 90% is the number that would not, it would not click in, right? It wouldn't, the, the mechanisms wouldn't click into place to get that person off the street or away from guns or that takes us right back to the gun issue and that every other country in the world has solved the problem. So you have to try to keep them separate, but it doesn't mean they don't have a lot of overlap in a lot of areas. So I think we can keep them separate and say, look, demand of your legislative body to act on this particular issue. Oh, by the way, it will help the gun problem. I think, is that a safer way to look at it? Because the gun problem is not going to be solved with this. This is about your buddy who, you know, comes in here, I think Glenn Funk told the story about like, he had a friend who didn't know how to handle his 19 year old son and throwing stereos down a stair. Like that's not, it's not just about guns. You said it, Jillian paid the ultimate price on this, but there's a lot more layers to it than that. It's, it's far, much further reaching than just the gun issue. Well, I've seen some commentary from her family 
saying, how could this guy be out on the streets? We don't understand something along those lines. Well, I can answer that for the state of Tennessee failed Julian, Julian Ludwig period. Yeah. I don't, I don't have anything to add to that. Um, so go talk, go, go demand action. Right. I mean, that's literally the, the name of the, the one organization. Um, okay. Uh, anything else you want to add on this particular topic? Because I don't think we can, there's not a lot to add to. Well, last night, right overnight, man in his middle fifties caught a stray bullet at 10th and Buchanan. Hey, that just happened a couple nights ago. But see now you're but now you're into the gun issue where we have twelve hundred guns stolen out of cars and you don't need, uh, you don't need I'm, a permit I'm, and uh, by the way qu- quick citing of my source on that ninety percent number Scott Galloway um, who's a clinical professor uh, at New York University is the one who who was citing the ninety percent of shooters the day before would not it would not stop them from acquiring a gun so we call him Prof G <clears throat> there you go Prof G Braden come on. Okay, the sorry. kids know. You tell me about the kids knowing everything. You are you are way more attached to the kids than I am. You have teenagers. I have kids in kindergarten. Prof G, I follow him. I ain't on the streets like you. <laughs> Cap. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I know now, Steve Cavendish. Do you know what Cap? Do you know what Cap means? I do now. <laughs> See, he didn't know because either. Of, because of our because of our <laughs> off air uh, conversation. I have dogs. I have I have a beagle. My beagle doesn't doesn't. Doesn't it's not out there afford the Friday lingo nights. to me. Well, as Jamie as Jamie so eloquently uh, pointed out, the reason I do not know all the terms that he knows from the streets are that his kids are out there running around all over the place, and my kids are not yet there. But I better be careful because it's going to happen soon. Gonna... Te- teenagers, age thirteen, you become Captain Dumbass. I will welcome you. When your children turn, yeah, no, become teenagers, no. I said, "Welcome to the dumbass club. Proud to have you." <laughs> I can't tell if you're talking about the kids or the parents or both. That's <laughs> what the kids think of the parents. Oh yeah, well, my my seven year old already behaves like a thirteen year old and thinks I'm a dumbass. There's no question about that. So, Steve's the sm- Steve's the only smart one here. It has beagles. <laughs> I think uh, I think that is the that, that is the true takeaway here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's get into the the Covenant shooting release. A uh, uh, essentially a, a right wing troll with two million followers posts three pictures of the diaries that, of which there are multiple. I don't. Does anybody know the exact number? Three to four different diaries, but this was three pages from three different diaries. So a very very small. How do you know it's from three different diaries? I'm going to call it a journal. Three pages of a journal. Journal, fine. But there are multiple. They were at least three recovered. So we're talking potentially hundreds of pages of of, uh, manifesto or whatever term you want to use. Just a journal. Uh, Chief John Drake, when he first gave us public comment about it, he called it a manifesto. Okay. And then then immediately regretted it. After talking to Don Aaron... Called that a collection of writings. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Man- manifesto does imply a certain amount of coherent thought, and uh, I, I think it's I think it's pretty clear that this is not very coherent. Yes, mental mental health very clearly. This probably would fall into the ten percent. I'm not an expert, but might have fallen into the ten percent that would have been caught. So there's a couple different sto- conversations here. There there is sort of this media rights. There's the law about public records and documents and how this leak took place. Seven officers in the police department are now on administrative leave, which a lot of times is, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but isn't that 
that's normally reserved for when there's like sort of an active investigation into like an improper use of a weapon or something like that. So this is falling into that kind of category where seven officers, because the leak they assume have has come from the police department, Metro Legal's investigating, the, the TBI's investigating, all of these documents have been under seal since the incident in March. And Steve, I'll ask you and Jamie, you can comment on this. Let's take people through what the the normal process would have been like through an investigation and documents. Like what would the normal process have been before we get into all the different parties involved and why they what what are their motivations through this 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 massive legal spider web? As long as there's an open investigation, uh, those are not open records. Uh, as long as there's an open investigation, public doesn't have the right to see them. The only the police and and the prosecutors involved can can examine can examine that evidence because that's what it is. It's evidence. After the investigation is closed, then the public has a right to the public has a right to make a records request for them. And and anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. Okay. I mean that is that is that is public records law. And so you had a case, but you had the case here where there was an intervention by the covenant parents to try to preempt the release of those records. What well, what would normally be? I mean, you know, this happens. This happens all the time uh, after uh, after a case is closed or at a certain point when it's no longer being actively investigated. You know, media asks for for files to be able to to be able to tell the story of a particular incident, a particular particular crime, a particular death. And those and required by law, you are required to release those documents. Right. That did not happen in this case. And the lack of transparency has led to a, a lot of speculation from all different parties. And we can get into that. But Jamie, who are the parties here that are involved in this? Because this is it, it, extremely confusing when you start to try to parse out the motivations for all the different groups that are involved in keeping this, these particular journals private and under lock and key or under seal, I should say. Well, first, the pictures that were released to Steven Crowder were not records of the investigation. They didn't have any indicia on it that someone for what I'm going to call the CSI unit of MNPD didn't have their telltale signs on it. Instead, it was an officer who arrived on the scene, got in her car, found the journals, took three pictures. As far as I know, there's a car in the background. It's very clear where she is, or he. He or she. There's a purple latex glove on the hand. You know, obviously don't want to identify themselves that way. So, one, that's not part of their records. And for some reason, that officer waited until now to release them somehow through a third party or what have you. Which Metro Legal has said is a felony. Metro Legal is not in charge of enforcing the criminal laws that are committed in Davidson County. And, and, and to be, and, and to be clear, so there were some, there were some releases this week about Metro legal and an investigation and whatever else I asked, I asked the mayor's office about this. And I said, that's not, that's not Metro legal's lane, is it? And they said, no, they said, they said the, the mayor had asked Metro legal to reach out to the appropriate bodies to make sure that this was, 
that this was happening, whatever else. Metro Legal was not the, running an investigation. The investigation into the leak, you're saying? Correct. That, which is the police department, we're saying? I mean, this is this is the okay. police department, and okay. if there's if there's any crime there, then that's the DA's office. Every, that, that, every good okay. listener of PBN, Braden, knows that Metro Legal will not be conducting an investigation of any sort Sorry, into I, the police department. I just said they called it a felony. That's all I said. I didn't say they were doing the investigation. But I mean, somebody on the street can call it a felony, too. does not make it so. But if true, then they're going to be held accountable. There's no question. There's also no question in my mind that the chief and his team know who released the photographs. No question. That's already a known quantity. In fact, Crowder even said... One of them was a detective, and he's willing to go to jail to protect him. You know, that's big talk behind the old microphones. <laughs> Different conversation when you got cuffs on your um, a man of integrity posting illegal documents. Got it. <laughs> but the the reason it's out there, or the reason it came this way, I think MNPD made a mistake. In as much as once they concluded the investigation was over, and the only thing I can think of that would make the investigation linger that steve mentioned is the fact that they needed to ascertain whether or not she was working in concert with others whoever that might be and once that was concluded that she wasn't she was alone they should have released the records obviously to some of our points about holding multiple thoughts in your head the the families of the covenant victims and school children they're fighting like hell to keep that from being released so you have the back to your question who are the parties? Well, the Tennessee Firearms Association and the National Association of Chiefs of Police are the plaintiffs in one lawsuit. The Tennessee Star and Michael Patrick Leahy are plaintiffs in another state suit. Those are s- state public records lawsuits. Tennessee Star also has a federal lawsuit against the FBI, but the state court, the parties, wanted to the parents and family members they wanted to intervene and that's a public records law fiasco that steve can talk to about more but anytime the media and i use that in very broad scope you don't have to be media to make a public records request all you have to be is a citizen of the state of tennessee with the valid driver i think it's resident Stephen number two. Right. Ran into the, the 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 deputy attorney general tried to disallow a, a Stephen Elliott uh, request here a couple of years ago by claiming that he was not a resident. And after he had been living here for I don't know, what, seven years at the time, six years. It was it was pretty funny. So resident gotta provide a copy of a driver's license or something of the sort to be able to get the record. So it applies across the board. So the question there is like, should a party be allowed to intervene? Well, if that's the case, it kind of defeats the purpose of the public records law. That issue is currently up on appeal by permission granted by the court in the court of appeals. And, you know, by the time this all comes out or gets released, because I think it will be resolved unquestionably, these records are public records and they're subject to inspection. And they're going to come out, all of them. I saw the criticism. Oh, well, he only released three pictures. Well, it's probably all he got in his defense because the officer taking those photos is trying to take them pretty quick and get out of there so nobody knows what he's doing inside that car relative to her journals. And and Steve, real, real quickly here on the verifying them right when it happens, 
there's also an element, and we're seeing this with lots of different stories around the world right now, how much can you trust, believe what you see in the first place? The timestamps, for example, in the in the pictures don't match up to anything that took place, which is could be completely irrelevant to the story. But how, how do you guys go about verifying that that's even really a, a real picture of the of the journal from the, the shooter? Like, how how can we even do that? It, now, the way that the police department has responded and the mayor's office has responded tells me that they're that it's real. Yeah. More yeah. than anything. But like in, in, in the, mo- in, in the in, moment on institutional responses, uh, generally, it's generally verification in this point, and, and, and it was. But on Monday, when it first happens, you, yeah. you got to be careful about that. Stuff. Yeah, seven, seven, seven officers aren't placed on aren't placed on desk duty because for a fake. Of course, I mean they're just not. Uh, one other quick note on what because you said because that was my first question. I had I got I was of course playing pickleball when all this broke and I got checked my phone had like fifteen messages and I said, well, I'm not even going to read it because I don't even know if it's authentic yet. Right? Like, why would I waste my time? Well, later on throughout the day. Some of the commentary from various folks in town, like, well, that's the real deal. Yep. Well, and I think the mayor's office press release came out either that evening or the next morning pretty quickly. So it was, it was, and they're, they were investigating the leaks. No so. investigation needed for a fake. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but to your point about why the investigation, like you don't, you're looking for if this person was working with somebody else. There's also, and I just, I, I didn't know this, but it makes perfect sense. There's also some information could be removed from those types of documents because of, or redacted, I guess is the right word, because school safety stuff. If there's like documents that indicate that sh- this shooter had figured out where the weak points are in a school. I mean, I think that's a straw man argument, but yeah. I, hear I, I just mean, that's a, that's a reason that, that some governing bodies might keep some parts of a record private. Is that like, this is Sure. Show, showing you where to attack a school. Well, we can't have that out there in the public. Sure, I mean, but that's so. a legitimate records discussion to right, be having. Right. Not, not is this or is this not a record? And, and I think that this gets to, I mean, the media is really uncomfortable in this case because I think that because the covenant parents have lined up so strongly on the other side of it, I, I think that a, a lot of times there are things that you do in the defense of open government that are that puts you in uncomfortable uh, positions and telling the covenant parents who don't want to, who don't want to relive this horrible thing again with the release of these records and, and like the constant discussion that would come from the release of these records is a legitimate concern. I mean, but, but that does not in and of itself create an exception to an exception to public records law. Yes, this is the two things can be true. We can all feel sympathy and understand exactly where those families are coming from and then also look at... And the- if I was them, I would be advocating the same position. I get that. Right. And we've talked a lot about this uh, just in general, but you know, we talked about Tyree Nichols' mom on a previous episode making sure that the video was public for the death of her son because she wanted the world to see what happened. And that is a decision for the parent to make in that particular situation. It's not a decision that the media will make or an editor or a television ex- executive producer. It's not really for the media to make that decision. It's for the parent to make that decision. So whatever decision they feel is totally acceptable. I think we all agree with that. But, but the, the church being involved, the school being involved, the police department being involved. Now you've got the Tennessee Firearms Association being involved. There's weird sort of bedfellows, for lack of a better term. People are aligned in very different ways for all of this. We, we certainly know there's some weird 
political agendas that are out there in this conversation as well. Stop it. <laughs> but but it but no way that's true. It muddies the water on when you don't have transparency. When the law says there should be transparency, it muddies the water on what people think. And and to your point, transparency is the is the is the motivating factor behind open records laws. Uh, the Tennessee Open Records Act, when it was passed in it was seventy three or seventy four, was was part of a spate of sunshine laws around the country that were were passed in the wake of Watergate and government generally doing terrible things in the name of secrecy, you know, throughout throughout the previous decade, and those law the the laws designed to pro- to promote transparency, typically. Uh, in the in the cases, and, and there are like to your, to your point that there are a number of people at cross purposes here. Tennessee Firearms Association uh, had gotten involved in this case early before the special session to try to pre. I mean, they they were trying to, and uh, and other actors around them ha- were trying to use these shooters' writings uh, a- as a way to blunt the the kind of emotional uh, inertia behind behind potential gun laws. And so no concern needed for that, by the way. Right. Um, <laughs> turns Unfor- out, turns unfortunately, out, unfortunately not needed, but the trans transparency is important because I, I think that if we saw these writings, what we would, what we would likely see are gibberish. You know, we, we, we would see that a person who is clearly mentally unwell Yeah, and we would, Think about it for about 30 seconds and then move on. The The actions of the police department, but by, by not making them public in a reasonable time thereafter made it worse, made it worse, yeah. Yeah. made more people curious about it, made reasonable people conclude now I re- cause when the government's hiding something, I mean, I really want to see it now. Yep. If you would have what, put, what's, it, put, what's in there, if what's you would have put it out there sooner, Probably wouldn't have had a whole near as much interest in it, but now these records, everybody wants to see. Could, could we argue that the fact that this is how it's unfolded is actually going to make it worse on the covenant families? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cause you're right. They, they would already been, it'd already be over. Right. Re- reasonable people can let their mind wander with speculation on a million different directions. And that's what happens when you don't have sunshine as the best disinfectant. Right. And and, so. and and to be clear, there's going to be a lot of stupid stuff that happens after the release of these records. There are. Uh, it's I mean, going to be bad. Th- there was a lot of stupid stuff that happened after the release of three pages of them. Yeah. The three pages released after the wind down of the Community Oversight Board. Coincidence? I, I think there will be some bad faith actors that use these documents for their own purposes and agendas. Yeah, I mean, you already mostly in the media, mostly in the media. Well, and you you already saw legislators tweeting about this, like immediately after, uh, after the the Crowder show, you you saw one legislator say that you know this is part of an anti-white, anti-Christian narrative, and blah 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 blah, and whatever. And you know, this is this is a mentally unstable individual who committed an atrocity that, hopefully, a investment in the mental health system might have caught somewhere along the way. And it does, and I, I will be the one to say it, it does not change the fact that the access to the guns made it possible as well. Make sure we always say that because it's true and every other country in the world solves the problem right away. We're the only one that doesn't. All right, you want to talk about education, boys? 
Uh, we got more freedoms than those other places do. That's an apples and pandas comparison, uh, but we're no, not going to no, handle that no, today. You're wrong about that. We're not going to handle that There's today. Lots of freedoms in those countries. <laughs> Two state doctors said not competent to stand trial, but can't be involuntary committed either. Yeah. Just saying. All right. Um, we'll we'll finish with some light stuff, but let's talk about this education task force special committee selection committee i don't know i don't know exactly what the name of the group is so it's a working group working group there we go the, wor- the working group that that is up there right now is looking at and speaker sexton had had commissioned and and, and lieutenant governor mcnally but but this is a this is very much a sexton initiative is can we forego federal education dollars uh and the and some of the mandates that come with that would, would tennessee be better off doing that and this is this is because they want to have more control over the what the dollars do in theory right in in theory that they don't like being told by the federal government what to do to take care of disabled children right in 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 terms of got it in in terms of taking federal dollars so you know there were a number of people that testified this week there were lea uh leaders the leaders of school districts uh who came up and said and said basically you know don't do this. There were some rural uh, superintendents who came up and said, you know, a substantial portion of, of, of the dollars that come into our district are coming from federal funds. Don't cut those. It forced legislators to say, look, we're not going to cut any of these dollars. Some of the people behind the working group came out and said, and I think, I think uh, Lundberg, uh, Representative Lundberg was one of the people who- Senator. Sorry, sorry, Senator Lundberg was one of the people who expressed like a fair amount of frustration that, you know- uh, that the people thought that these this money was going to just be cut, which, to be fair, given the state of education funding in Tennessee, not an unreasonable uh, assumption. Sycamore Institute testified, you know, just about what these these numbers are. And there's a uh, one of the deputy directors of the uh, Sycamore Institute uh, said this, and and we wrote about this. Connor Dariani wrote about this for the Banner this week. Uh, he said, additionally, Spears' presentation pointed out that many of the, quote, strings, un- unquote, attached to federal dollars align with requirements that the state of Tennessee has, which means that should the state replace federal dollars with state dollars, many of these same regulations would, would, would remain, but just enforced by a different entity. The proposed change left school leaders wondering why the state would go through with the supplanting of these funds rather than just providing additional funding for education. And that's ultimately where the question is, why are we walking away from these federal funds? Utah took a very serious look at this several years ago and decided that many of the things that, 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 the, state, that the state gets money for, whether it's for kids with disabilities or uh, kids in rural districts or for, for school lunches or something, were things that they were already going to provide anyway. So why are we just sort of you know, sort of doing this. I, I love the fact that all those strings are going to be attached. Anyway. <laughs> they're all, they're all going <laughs> to sort of be attached anyway. And that was, you know, there's going to be more testimony next week. I, I assume from people who we heard, we heard from sort of folks that were not in favor of this, this week. I assume we're going to hear from some folks who are in favor of this next week at, at those hearings, but it's just, it's, it's, I'm fascinated by, if you've ever watched a, if you've ever, ever watched a legislative hearing and a fiscal note comes up on something and it has re, kind of real money attached to it, and the state, you know, state legislators watching kind of like every penny in the budget, and not wanting to sort of overspend, if a fiscal note comes up, 
they they get they get really wary of of passing the legislation. Uh, but you know, we're going to just yada yada uh, one point one billion dollars <laughs> here of federal money. Yeah. Because the state has this in surplus right now. So, so I've talked to a few people uh, in the state house and the house, uh, state and house uh, body, and I've talked to some folks that were Senate. You mean Senate. Sen- the Senate and the House is what I meant, uh, just the the assembly there. And then there's uh, I've talked to some folks that were in, in the room for a lot of this stuff this week, and general. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on our education episode, so go check that out. That th- this is potentially a lot of posturing and signaling to a Republican base that they are going to fight for sort of, you know, whatever culture war you want to insert into protecting our schools and our kids as much as that is a, you know, complete red herring as, as much as it is. Um, I think there's two different paths of individual that's on this particular uh, working group. I think there are some folks that are doing it in good faith to truly understand exactly where this money is being spent, how this money is being spent. Let's just understand the process as much as possible and make sure we're doing it correctly. Um, and then there's the bad faith sort of public PR tweets about what, why I'm doing this and why I'm standing up for this or whatever. But by and large, that there's no appetite to turn this money down, that there's no real appetite to pass legislation to turn this money down. Uh, no state has ever rejected federal K through 12 dollars. Ever, <laughs> it's, ne- it's never happened, uh, and the money and the, and to your point, Steve, if they do one point one billion dollars, they just turn down. They're gonna pay. They're they're still gonna use the one point one billion dollars. It's still gonna get paid. Every penny will get paid. It's the opportunity cost of what else could you do with that one point one billion dollars that the state would lose the ability to invest in other things. I don't know, like mental health, perhaps. So I, I think parents are very concerned about this. Rightly so. We can bring the temperature down a little bit on that for now, because I think for now, there's not a lot of appetite for them to actually turn this money down. And I don't think it's going to happen. That's my personal opinion about this. I don't I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's wrong. I mean, you're going to have to find you're going to have to find a huge a, a huge groundswell of members of the legislature that are willing to take money out of a surplus which they're not necessarily reticent to do anyway, uh, or you're going to have to find a huge group of folks who really just want to give the middle finger to the federal government. Now, there's a bigger chance that that might happen. But uh, but I do think that because this is education, because this is statewide, the politics of this are not what they would traditionally be. You, you're going to see a lot of pressure on rural legislators from their superintendents, from the county commissioners who do the budgets in those counties to to push back against this because they're the ones that need the money the most use the money the most and are the a lot of times the largest employer in the county right might be a distraction nobody's talking about statewide program for vouchers right well and that's the thing one person is well so (laughs) eric shelzik (laughs) well bill 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 lee said this you said this week uh governor billy governor billy general Said that said that uh, quote. My number one priority is going to be vouchers. Unquote. Well, and we 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 don't have the time to get into what that does to the rural counties as well, because that they're gonna if that goes into more counties across the state, that you, how are you gonna take again? That's the, the a lot of these counties. The biggest employer is the education right. system. Are, are you reading my mind? Are that? you reading my mind, Braden? 
Because, you know, that's what I was going to say. Go for it. Stole my thunder. Well, go for it. That's the. You'll make it you more. You already said it. You'll do you it in a better, but you'll I've do it in a flu- better, you'll do it in a better accent. Go. I've influenced you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jamie. W- I want to hear your accent do it, though. Jamie, I, f- I forget. Which, which county did you grow up in? I don't have an accent. <laughs> which? Y'all do. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. Our accent isn't, our accent isn't famous, though. Which, which, which county did you grow up in? Uh, Shelby and McNary. How many uh, how many places could you spend a spend a voucher in McNary County? I don't know of any, but see, here's the kicker: there's op- operators across the country that will be pouring in to sure. make that available. Sure. Mm. I wonder why. Oh God. Okay. So ultimately, Steve, our point is, and I think Jamie did a wonderful job derailing an intelligent conversation. That let's bring the temperature down on the concern level on this first for a while. Parents don't stress about it too much for now. I don't think there's a large appetite to turn down over a billion dollars in help. It's not perfectly analogous, but our, Jamie, your conversation about SROs in Nashville and the Metro Council, the state's going to give us, we're going to have SROs in high schools and middle schools. It's going to cost us $3.4 million. The state's going to give us that money. Yes, it's important to ask questions about that money, but it's better to have the money than to not have the money. Take it and pay for the SROs. I, I think it's again. It's not perfectly analogous, but it's pretty close. So take the one point one billion. Let's not. Let's not. Also, by the way, the, all this with the backdrop of the state making less money. The the number the, years. the number one string or the biggest string post race to the top. You remember that, Steve? Oh yeah, yeah. We had a former school board member that was a part of that in the Bredesen administration. It's assessment. You know, if there ever was an investigation worthy of a local TV outlet, I wish they'd spend it on investigating all the contracts in the public education space that go to entities like Pearson. Admit a a story. A lot of money made in public education. All right. So hopefully that eases some tension and some nerves from, from some parents in the area. Because I don't know about you guys, but I get asked that a lot. Now that, this, now that they actually have started to meet, Steve, I think parents are very concerned about all this, and I think it's important to just lower that temperature a bit. Yeah, we'll so. we'll have we'll have coverage of the the remaining of the remaining meetings next week. And again, I think you're you're going to hear some of the some of the pro side next week. Uh, but yeah, there, there, there's there's a fair amount of skepticism skepticism uh, out there right now. Would someone please tell Senator Hensley that? Free lunch program comes from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, not the U.S. Department of Education. Thank you. There's a long line of things that that Dr. Hensley needs to be told. (laughs) Uh, All right, should we lighten the mood here and uh, have a little fun? By the way, I forgot to say something on the episode last week that I wanted to point out because we're sort of, we're not, we're not, we're sort of in a pause, I guess, with the uh, Metro Legal v. the state uh, legislation, right, or lawsuits that are taking place, litigation, I should say. I, I and I wanted to ask Steve this too. Now that you, since you're here, I forgot to say this last week on the pod PBN. PBN. All right. And I just want to ask the people in charge that eventually said no to the RNC coming to town. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to not let the the folks just have their party? I just am curious what you guys think. No, we built, just, just we, let them have them, let them have the party downtown, including debt service, the convention centers. <laughs> going to cost a billion dollars we built a billion dollar facility for the purpose of hosting big ass parties we shouldn't be saying no to people that want to host big ass parties and ops soon after it was built 
We hosted the annual convention of who? The National Rifle Association. Also known as the NRA. <laughs> and I, I do recall, uh, wasn't there like a big party on the top of a hotel in the Gulch recently with basically an, it was basically an RNC <laughs> get together? Although Kid Rock was there. So that makes it that makes it a real party. Uh, I just I, like I just keep coming around on this because I at first the story broke I was kind of like okay I don't want that happening either but like we every night is an RNC <laughs> convention downtown we've got one of those every June as well at the Titan Stadium I, I don't know just let people have their parties who cares make the money off of it and maybe not get into some legal battles participation in the safe bar programs ticking up Braden yeah, that's true it's true people are listening many people are talking about it okay uh, quickly here. Election results across the country, but a few neighboring states, Kentucky, Andy Brashear gets reelected. More points, a larger victory, I think it was five and a half points or so, over a very, very anti-abortion candidate in the Republican side, but a very red state. Ohio, of course, enshrined abortion law into the Constitution. Virginia did not. Governor Glenn Youngkin was trying to switch, take control of the entire state, and that all went the other direction as well. Anything you guys learned from... The elections, I think there was a Supreme Court seat that they that, that Pennsylvania switched as well. I mostly I'm concerned more with Kentucky and Ohio because they're more like us. Did you guys learn anything about what uh, what took place on Tuesday last week? That the Dobbs decision has been one of the most valuable tools the Democratic Party has had in a, in, in quite some time. That it's shifted the presumption in ways that I don't think that the folks who were trying to have a long-term shift on the court wanted kind of among folks. I mean, abortion has always been sort of broadly popular, uh, but when the presumption was for abortion to be legal, then pro-life forces were very, very capable of using that as a motivational issue with their base. Now that that presumption has flipped, uh, you see it in Ohio. You saw it in Kentucky last year. Kansas. You saw it in Kansas. Yep. Very, you know, very red places. Right. You see just how uh, damaging it is for Republicans on a national level. Uh, I, I was I was struck by some, I don't say this very often, some Rick Santorum comments <laughs> kind of in the wake of, uh, in the wake of things. He said, He's gone from CNN to Newsmax and on air. As one does. As one does. (laughs) And he said, quote, you put very sexy things like abortion and marijuana on the ballot and a lot of young people come out and vote. It was the secret sauce for disaster in Ohio. Thank goodness most of the states in this country don't allow you to put everything on the ballot because pure democracies are not the way to run a country. Say the quiet part out loud. That is the quiet <laughs> part out and, loud. And apparently in Ohio, from what I've understood, like marijuana wasn't even a conversation. Oh, no. It was, it was very, it was, people were not talking about it. it no, it was. It, it, and, as part of the campaign. And it won three to one? Yeah, yeah. yeah overwhelmingly. I mean, over, overwhelmingly. Y'all old fogies, quit calling it marijuana. Weed. God's plant. <laughs> Reefer madness. But... <laughs> That shift in presumption. How am I the old one? Is is what national Democrats are kind of banking next year's presidential race on? Uh, you're already starting to see that, and you saw that in 
<laughs> you saw that in like kind of how little the Republican Party, uh, Republican candidates wanted to talk about abortion uh, kind of in the debates. Was it also sent? I know DeSantis mentioned it in the debate, but like didn't. Wasn't it Santorum who also was like, I'm just tired of seeing Republicans lose. <laughs> right. Like, we just keep losing. And which brings us to the de- to the debate in general, which was, again, a largely meaningless exercise for second place or vice president. I don't know. And the whole first hour, which I did not see, apparently was all about boats. I don't know. But it took them to the hour and 39 minute mark before they were asked the day after all those results we just talked about took place where they actually asked about abortion. And I will say I think every one of those candidates up up on stage all had far more sophisticated answers around the issue today than they had in the previous debates or when Dobbs happened. They obviously know Trump knows that this is a losing issue and that they have to have more complicated and sophisticated and complex answers to these questions about this particular issue. Bashir is interesting, though. Like this is a guy who's I think his father was in politics uh, as a governor of the state of Kentucky. I think um, he's very, very, very popular. I do find it interesting to study governors who are very popular in states that are opposite of their political party. There's many of them across the country. We do not live in one of those states, but well, and and to like a red governor in a blue state and vice versa. I find that interesting to find when those people are very popular. And typically, what you find in those situations. It- is that candidate quality matters. And I think in Kentucky, you definitely saw that candidate quality mattered. I mean, Bashir looks looks and sounds like a governor. And he's, and he's been there for his and, state the entire first term. You know, his, his response to his response to, to things like the, like the flooding that, yeah. that happened over in Eastern Kentucky was, was largely sort of praised. He has been able to be effective in spite of the fact that I think I, I'm pretty sure he has a supermajority against him in one house, uh, and and does does not have a Democratic majority in the other one, um, but it's been you know largely largely seen as an effective governor. We talked about this last week, Jamie. The type of person that could win in the fifth, sixth, or seventh, hypothetically, like does it does the the Bershier style? Does it show you that there's a path for a like I'm going to say moderate Republican? to win over Democrats in, in a, in a state election like governor or a moderate Republican. Like I know you're always worried about hollowing out the middle and the extremists run the primaries. And that's what happens when we have gerrymandering and I get all that. But for governor, for example, does it give you hope when you see some stuff like this and some candidates like this, that if you find the right moderate Republican, that you could actually get some progressive support for that? Or is that just not an option? I, I didn't follow that Kentucky race. I did follow what was going on in Ohio relative to God's plant. But the Dobbs decision, on the heels of the Dobbs decision, legislatures across the country, including the state of Tennessee, eliminated what certain people might call a reasonable uh, exceptions. And that's what drove it over the edge to reverse it, because even though a lot of Republicans are anti-abortion, there are exceptions that they can tolerate, you know, early onset pregnancy, rape, incest, those types of things. Reasonable people are okay with abortions in those cases. And we'll see if it has a boomerang effect in Tennessee. However, that requires a cohesive state Democratic Party and a message and a commitment to staying on message. And I do not fucking see that being possible 
in the state of Tennessee is the Democratic Party, quote unquote party, as it exists today. Uh, part of Nikki Haley's answer was similar, which is like, hey, I'm I'm pro life. Don't judge me if you're pro choice and I won't judge you. And I wanted to be like, well, that's being pro choice, but whatever. But it's a sophisticated way of answering a question that she knows is a losing issue especially as the only female on the stage as a as a primary candidate. So uh, I find it interesting. It's that they're starting to Republicans are, are learning quickly, Steve, that this they have to they have to adjust on this issue because yeah. <laughs> they caught the car. I was talking to I was talking to someone who's who's an operative here in town who is going to end up running some campaign stuff nationally. Democrats nationally are going to weaponize abortion as much as they possibly can. You're going to see it. You're going to see it in the Arizona races, in Nevada, in a few other places. You saw it in the Pennsylvania uh, Supreme Court race. There are there's going to be consistent messaging on that because they feel that that is a way to motivate, particularly female voters in the middle. They are no longer the party of personal freedom. That's it. God's plan run on personal freedom if you're a democratic strategist run on personal freedom let me ask speaking of god's plan here do you think it is more likely Mm. that that let's talk about weed for a minute (laughs) that that, uh such derogatory language brain marijuana that that makes you curmudgeon by the way marijuana legal is legalized in tennessee or kentucky first kentucky kentucky they grow a shit ton of it (laughs) the bourbon industry well the the oh the the big bourbon it big Big alcohol is going to say no. Is dead set against this. Interesting. I guess that makes sense. We want. I'm. I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated at at kind of the the progression of of legalization laws around the country and kind of where Tennessee might fit into that. Mm. We want to kill your brain cells, (laughs) not the other guy. (laughs) We want to monopolize it legally. All I know is if you talk to your uh, personal doctor, he'll tell you which one to use. <laughs> Bur- bourbon or the reefer. Life-saving. That's why God gave it to us. I, look, you are not going to hear any argument from the two of us on this. I think the three, the one issue that has united all three of us. <laughs> Legalize true. fucking weed. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, again, that is absolutely personal freedom. Let me put in my, my body what I want to put in my body. Don't get in the way of me and my doctor's relationship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Party of personal freedom is no longer the Republicans. All right, uh, Steve, what what do you got coming up on the Nashville banner? Tell everybody. Uh, we get a couple. Of, we're, so we're going to cover these education uh, hearings next week. Uh, we've got a couple of things coming up that'll be interesting on on uh, on some of the commitment topics that we've uh, been talking about. There's still a lot of reporting to be done, so I couldn't tell you exactly gotcha. when it's going to come out. Gotcha. And uh, we're working on a piece that if. You said this comes. It's going to come out on Monday. We, we are out on Mondays. We should have a. We should have a piece in your inboxes. Uh, sign up at nationalbanner.com that about the East Bank and sort of the timeline for what you're going to see announced and when about new renderings, new proposals. There's you know questions of uh, of how much affordable housing. Some outlets in town are obsessed with where TPAC is going to go. <laughs> We'll, you know, we'll, we should have a timeline for that, uh, at least for like the broad strokes of that here uh, on Monday morning. Okay, actionable items, Jamie. Contact your legislator about support for mental health issues. Find a friend in another county outside of Davidson to do the same. Uh, also, 
dedicated transit funding referendum 2024. Hashtag rolls off the thumbs. We're working gonna, on it. It's going to happen. It's gonna, it needs to. <laughs> so let's work on it. Uh, otherwise, uh, Nashville Banner, thank you for coming in, Steve. Always a pleasure to have you. We do appreciate it. I think you are our second, second time guest. Like it. So The two-timers club. Yeah. It's, I think it's just you and Nate. I enjoy being point. here on the pod. We, we do appreciate it. And PBN. On, and you can follow him on, at S Cavendish on Twitter.com. That's where you can find him. Because that's the website. You're putting your stake in the ground. It's Twitter.com. Twitter. Dog, dog, type in the URL. It's Twitter.com. They haven't, until they change that, it's Twitter.com. I don't understand your bro lingo. <laughs> Uh, thank you uh, to the brilliant Arsenio Cur- Hall. Thank you to the brilliant curmudgeon, uh, Jamie Holland. Um, you can follow him on twitter.com at JR Holland. My name is Braden Gall. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show, tell somebody about it. We really appreciate it. One rating. Give me one more rating. Thanks for listening. <laughs>